Glad that you're here today, and I hope that you're ready to hear from the Lord. I'd like for you to take your Bibles, open to the Old Testament book of Jeremiah, chapter 29. Jeremiah chapter 29, I want you to find that, open it, then lay it aside. I'm going to be getting to that in a few moments. Jeremiah chapter 29. While you're turning to that, let me remind you what we talked about last Sunday, in case you weren't here. We're in a series called His Presence. And last Sunday we talked about worship and the presence of God. And I basically said that worship is a response, a a natural response to the presence of God. Which brings up a question. Isn't God always present? If worship is a response to to the presence of God, if, if worship is an intimate, personal meeting between God and His people, it makes you ask the question, isn't God always present with us? I mean, isn't that the teaching of the Bible from cover to cover, that God is present with us? The great passion of God's heart seems to be that He wants to dwell with His people. It's the predominant theme from Genesis to Revelation when you look at the Bible. In fact, I just want to walk through the Bible for just a moment. Again, I don't want you to turn to these passages. Just lay your Bible aside. But I'll quote a few passages for you. Just walking through the Bible to show you God's heart, God's desire, is to dwell with His people. very first time we see this in Scripture is in Genesis 3.8. Genesis 3.8, the Bible says that God came and walked through the garden with Adam and Eve. It was God's desire to experience that intimate relationship with Adam and Eve. And and so you see the presence of God, first of all, in the Bible, in the Garden of Eden. And then beyond that, when you look at the story of the Old Testament people as they were leaving Egypt many years later and going towards the Promised Land, God said, time out, while you're traveling, I want you to stop and I want you to build a tabernacle. Tabernacle is basically a big tent. It was the place where God was going to dwell among His people. He gave them very detailed instructions on how to construct the tabernacle and what it's to be made of. But the tabernacle was not to be a place where the people came to corporately worship God. The tabernacle was the place where God came to meet with His people. In fact, it was called sometimes the tent of meeting. In Exodus 29.45, God says, Then I will dwell among the Israelites and be their God. Once you establish this tabernacle, once you build this tabernacle, He says, Then I will dwell among the Israelites. I will dwell among them and be their God. Once they got to the promised land, they, uh, they did not need the tabernacle anymore because now they're there. And so then they constructed a permanent structure for God's dwelling, the temple. And the temple was a place that, again, represented God's presence. Here on earth. And as God gave them instructions on how to build the temple, in 1 Kings 8.11 it says, The glory of the Lord filled His temple. The presence of God was manifest there in His temple. But then you go through the Old Testament, beyond the days of the temple, you come to the New Testament, and we see the presence of God now, not in a tabernacle, not in a temple, but now in the New Testament we see the presence of God in Jesus. John 1.14 says it this way, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word dwelt could be translated this way, And the Word became flesh and pitched His tent among ours. He tabernacled among us, just like He did in the Old Testament days. He tabernacled among us. He pitched His tent among ours. When the angel said, and call his name, uh, They will call His name Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
From Genesis to Revelation, you see this concept of God's desire to dwell among His people. And even after Jesus left, He says in John 14, He said, I'm going to send another counselor, another comforter, who will be with you forever. And indeed, that's exactly what happened in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit came to dwell with us. And again, God wants to, God intends to dwell with His people. The reality is, if you are a Christian, then God is always present with us. David understood that. In Psalm 139, David said, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heavens, you are there. And if I make my bed, even in the depths, you are there. David said, where can I go away from your presence? Because he understood God is present everywhere. He said, if I go to the highest heavens, you're there. If I were to go to the deepest part that I could go, you'd even be there. God is present everywhere. In fact, God has promised us that he would always be with us. There's a promise in the Bible that's quoted in the Old Testament and quoted in the New Testament. Same promise. It's quoted in Deuteronomy 31.6 and in Hebrews 13.5. And here's the promise. I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. God said that in the Old Testament to His people. God said that in the New Testament to His people. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will always be with you. But, If God is always present with us, then how do you explain this verse? Jeremiah 29, 13. If God is always present with us, how do you explain Jeremiah 29, 13? You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Now wait a minute. What happened to, I will never leave you or forsake you? What happened to the God who is always present? What happened to the God who's always there? He says in Jeremiah 29, 13, look at it again, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I don't want to hide and seek God. I want to hear a now God. I want a God that's here with me right now. I don't want a God that I have to go seek after, a God that's hiding from me. You will Look what he says. I mean, it's right there. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. But that's not the kind of God we're anticipating, is it? Because we know that God says, I'll be with you always. We know that God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. But my guess is, some of you also know what it means to grapple with the absence of God. My guess is some of you here today understand the concept of grappling with what appears to be the absence of God. Maybe it's in a sickness. Perhaps yours or, or somebody that you love. It's been a hard road. It's been a hard time for you. And in the midst of that sickness and in the midst of that suffering, sometimes it's just felt like God was absent. Or maybe for you it was in the midst of those trying times with your teenager. And you got on your knees and you prayed and you prayed and you prayed, but, but it, it just seemed like God was nowhere to be found. Or maybe for you it was in your marriage, and, and right now you're trying all that you can do to keep it from crumbling. You're trying all that you can do to keep it going. But, but it's just kind of getting worse and worse every day, and there's so much stress and strain in your life right now, and it just seems like, God's not there anymore. 
Or for some of you, maybe it's just that you're burned out. I had a guest in the first service. He came up to me afterwards. He said, it's the first time I've come, but God sent me here today to hear this. He said, because I'm burned out. He said, I was doing five and six different things, and, and I was just trying my best just to keep everybody happy and do everything I could, and I am literally just burned out. And when you're like that, sometimes it's very easy to feel like, God, I don't know where you went, but you sure seem absent right now. Or maybe it's just that you're distracted. It's not that anything bad is going on. It's not that there's any sin particularly in your life, but you just seem distracted. I mean, there's a lot of shiny things in your life right now. And you're chasing after those shiny things, and all of a sudden you wake up and you think, God sure feels distant. I don't know what's wrong. I'm coming to church. Occasionally I pick up my Bible. I'm even in a BSF class, but... Man, God just seems so distant. He doesn't seem very close. He doesn't seem very near. You see, theologically, theologically, we know that God is everywhere. But honestly, some of you haven't seen Him lately, have you? You know that He's everywhere. You just haven't seen Him lately. I've got a book in my library from, uh, by Ron Dunn called When Heaven is Silent. And I was flipping through that book the other day, and I noticed that he's got one section that, where he talks about the elusive God. That, that title just kind of grabbed my attention, the elusive God. As I was reading that little subheading and that little few paragraphs there, one of the things that he said, and I'm going to quote him, he said, Israel was constantly grappling with the problem of God's presence and absence. One moment he would be powerfully present, and at another, absent and hidden. How do you explain that? How do you explain that the God who says, I will never leave you or forsake forsake you, feels like he has? How do you explain the fact that the God who is everywhere sometimes feels like he is nowhere? How do you explain that? Well, the Bible speaks of God's presence in two different ways, two very distinct ways. The Bible talks about God's presence, first of all, as his omnipresence. He's omnipresent. That, the word omni means all. He's all present. That means He's present everywhere. In other words, that wherever you go, God is there. Watch this. Somebody get ready to put an amen here. In other words, you can't ever draw a boundary and say, well, God is here, but He's not over there. You, you can't ever go so far anywhere in the world and say, okay, I've crossed the boundary. God's not here. No, His omnipresence means God is everywhere. Wherever we are, God is there. In fact, I want to show you this in Scripture. You're in Jeremiah. Go over a few chapters to chapter 23. Jeremiah chapter 23. I love to hear those pages turning. Thank you for bringing your Bibles and following along. Jeremiah 23, verse 23 and 24. He says, Am I only a God nearby, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Now, he's talking about geographically here. He said, listen, I'm not just a God that's confined to Jerusalem. You're in Babylon. You're far away from the temple. But am I, am I, not just, am I only a God nearby and not a God far away? Look at verse 24. Can anyone hide in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? 
God's present everywhere. In fact, he says, listen, I want you to know my presence fills the heavens and the earth. So no matter where you are, God is there. And Paul assured the Athenians of this. When Paul was looking at these people who did not know God, Paul said to them, God is not far from any of us, for in Him we live and move and have our being. So that's the omnipresence of God. You got it? God's everywhere. The omnipresence of God. God's everywhere. But there's also another way that the Bible describes God's presence. The Bible also talks about God's manifest presence. His manifest presence. And what I mean by that is, God at some times reveals His presence and His power in special ways. He manifests, He reveals Himself at special times and in special ways. He makes Himself known to us. I, I, I put it this way in my notes. The God who we cannot see sometimes becomes more seeable. I don't mean literally that you see Him, but He becomes more seeable. You, you get a, a sense that He is there. I like the story of Jacob. Jacob, the great patriarch in the Old Testament, he saw a vision of God one day. He was asleep in the wilderness, and, and he, that night he, he had a dream, and he saw a vision of God. It was a vision of God in heaven, and it was a beautiful dream. And when he woke up, he said something amazing. When he woke up, he said, and I quote, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. Now, was God present with him? Absolutely. His, his omnipresence was there all the time. God was with Jacob in his omnipresence all the time. But Jacob said when he woke up from that dream, and God's in this place. And I wasn't even aware of it. There was examples of God's omnipresence and His manifest presence throughout the Bible. Let me just give you a couple more. Moses is an example. God in His omnipresence was with Moses everywhere He went. When He was in Egypt, God was there. When He was in the desert, God was there. God in His omnipresence was always with Moses. But there was a special day when Moses saw a burning bush and God manifest His presence in a very special way to him. That's what we mean by the omnipresence and the manifest presence of God. Jesus is a great example of this. Jesus was with His disciples all the time with His disciples. His omnipresence, if you will. He was always with them. But there was one day when He took three of them on top of a mountain and He was transfigured before them and He manifest His presence to them in a way they had not seen before. You say, well, Pastor, I'm trying to get my mind around this. That seems to be a contradiction. That God is present everywhere and at the same time He sometimes feels absent. It seems to be a contradiction. We live with contradictions all the time, don't we? Uh, let me give you an example of one recently in our family. Um, a few weeks ago I, I got a text and I, this is a good way to start your Monday. Six o'clock in the morning, you get a text that says, Dad, somebody broke into my car last night and busted out the window. My son was at Anderson University. Somebody busted the back window out. And, and uh, that's a great way to start your day and start your week. And so we dealt with that. It took a couple of days, you know, two or three days, I think, probably three, to, to finally line up everything, get the guy to come out and replace the window. In that two or three days, I could tell that my sweet wife, Lisa, wanted me to tape up the window because she was afraid it might rain. Now, I had already checked the weather report several times, and there was no chance of rain. In fact, I felt a little bit insulted that she would even think that, hey, dummy, you ought to tape the window, you know, it'd be a good idea. But 
but I had checked, in fact, I checked the weather report a couple of times a day to make sure it was not going to rain. Because here was my theory. I don't want to put this gaudy plastic up there and have it flapping in the wind when you're driving. At least if there's a hole there, it looks like the window is down. So I'm just going to keep an eye on the, I'm going to keep an eye on the weather report. And I'm not going to tape it up. During that two or three day period, one night she went somewhere. I don't remember where it was. She went somewhere. I was home by myself and I thought, you know what? I ought to tape up that window. She wants that taped up. I ought to tape that up. And so I went and got some plastic and I taped the window. And I want you to know I taped it good. I mean, I taped it. If I was going to do it, I was going to do it right. I taped it up. There's no water going to get in that. It wasn't supposed to rain that night, but I taped it anyway. Guess what? When, when Lisa came home, I didn't say a word to her, but she noticed. What do you mean she noticed? She came in, she said, Honey, you taped up the window, didn't you? Gave me a little kiss on the cheek. I'm, thank you for doing that. And I'm thinking, well, I, don't, I didn't need to. It's not going to rain, but uh, yeah. But, 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 but let me tell you something, guys. When, you're, when you've been married 31 years, it's good to get brownie points. Brownie points still are important, even when you've been married for 31 years. Brownie points are important. So I, I scored some brownie points. But I promise you, within 20 or 30 minutes of her coming home, it started raining. <laughs> now, I don't mean it was sprinkling. I mean it was one of those big raindrops where you could hear it beating the car kind of rain. I mean, it was raining. And she smiled and said, aren't you glad you taped up that window? <laughs> then she asked me a question. Now, you did raise the windows on the other side, didn't you? <laughs> to which I said, of course I did. And then she went outside to check. <laughs> and I had not. <laughs> so we have two truths that are contradictory number one the window is taped up the car is going to be dry truth number two the car is soaking wet now how can you have these two truths that are contradictory because i left the window down we live with contradictions all the time and they really don't upset us too much here's a contradiction from scripture or at least an apparent contradiction from scripture God is present everywhere. The other side is this. Sometimes it feels like God is absent and not there. Is that really a contradiction? No, not at all. I can explain to you, I believe, why, though God is present everywhere, sometimes He doesn't seem to be anywhere. I want you to look at Jeremiah. This time, go in chapter 29. Look at verse 1. Let's start with verse 1. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So what we have here is the actual text of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet wrote to the people of God who had been taken captive to Babylon. They had been forcibly taken from their home in Jerusalem, carried all the way across the, the other side of the world to, to Babylon. And they're in exile there. Jeremiah sends them a letter, and what we're about to read is the text of the letter. It's the actual letter that he sent them. We're going to skip down to verse 10, which 
course, when he wrote the letter, it didn't have verse numbers like this. But in verse 10, we'll pick up what he wrote in the letter. He says, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to you, or promise to bring you back to this place, that is, back to your homeland. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Everybody knows that verse. We quote that verse a lot. But we miss the verses afterwards. Verse 12. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. Verse 13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Now, folks, I've read that verse for many, many years. And it hit me this week what God was really saying to His people who were wrestling with the absence of God. God was saying to His people, I'm not hiding, I'm waiting. I'm not hiding, I'm waiting. I'm waiting on, your, on you to search for me with all of your heart. I'm waiting on you to decide that you don't want to live without me. I'm waiting on you to decide that you're desperate for my presence. I'm waiting on you to decide you want me to be your God. I'm not hiding. I'm waiting. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Keep in mind that God was speaking to a nation who had blown it. Keep in mind that God was speaking to a nation who had turned their back on Him. They had turned their back on God. They had turned their hearts toward idols. And they were living in exile in Babylon as a punishment for their sin. And even there, and even then, God said, I'm not hiding. I'm waiting. You see, God is omnipresent. He is always present with us. But the reality is, He does not always manifest His presence to us. Sometimes he waits. He attaches a condition for us to experience his manifest presence. He says, you will seek me and find me. You might want to underline this in your Bible. When you seek me with all your heart. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart. What if, while we're waiting on God, He's waiting on us? Think about that. What if, while we're waiting on God to show up, He's waiting on us? Waiting on us to decide that we're done with our sin. Waiting on us to decide that we want His presence more than we want the shiny things of this world. Waiting on us to decide to stop living life without Him. Waiting on us to seek Him with all of our hearts. What if, while we are waiting on God, God is waiting on us? You see, I'm convinced that as long as we're content to live without God's presence, we will. But when we decide that we are desperate to experience God's presence, we will. Isaiah 57.15 says it this way, 
For this is what the high and lofty one says, he who lives forever, whose name is holy. Here's what he says, I live in a high and lofty place, but also with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. God says, that, let me explain it to you. I do live in a high and lofty and a holy place, but I also live with those in a lowly place who are contrite, broken, humbled in their heart. If it feels like God has been absent from your life lately, God is saying it doesn't have to stay that way. It doesn't have to be that way. I'm not hiding. I'm waiting. If it feels like God is distant, and He's, he's just more of a memory than anything, God's saying it doesn't have to be that way. You can't experience my manifest presence. I'm not hiding. I'm waiting. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Michael Horton is a professor of theology at Westminster Seminary in California. In a recent interview, he asked a key question that I'm going to read to you. Now, I want you to think very carefully about what he says. It is a wonderful question. He says, and I quote, Is God a supporting character in my life movie, or am I coming to church to hear how He has made a place for me in His? Is God just a supporting character in my life movie? Or do I come to church to find out how He has made a place for me in His? You see, God doesn't want to be your spiritual advisor. He wants to be your God. He doesn't want to be your co-pilot. He wants to be the pilot. Listen, if God is your co-pilot, you need to change seats. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. You say, okay, pastor, give me the four steps. Come on, I, I got my pen ready. Give me the four steps. How do I do that? How do I seek Him with all of my heart? And here's my answer to you. I don't know. But here's why. I don't know because I don't know what's in your heart. I don't know the obstacles that are in your heart. I don't know the burdens that are in your heart. I don't know the questions that are in your heart. I don't know the bitterness that might be in your heart. I don't know what's in your heart. So I can't give you four easy steps to get from here to there. But God has given us the step we need. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. Maybe I can relate it to you this way. And with this I will close. All the coaches have told us this for years. If we would listen to our coaches, we'd know what this means. Because the coaches say, you know what it takes to make a champion? You've got to want it. You've got to want it. And now everybody wants to be champion, right? Everybody, nobody wants to be the loser. Nobody wants to be the doormat of the conference. Everybody wants to be the champion. Everybody wants to be the best in their field. Everybody wants to be the best at their event. Everybody wants to be champion, but not everybody wants it with all of their heart. You can tell who wants it with all of their heart. It's the guy who gets up at 5 o'clock in the morning to go running when everybody else is sleeping in. It, it's the guy who's the first one at practice and the last one to leave. 
It's the guy who's studying the playbook. It's the one who's doing everything he knows to do every day. It's the guy who says, you know what? If I take off today, the guy I'm lining up against tomorrow, he may be working, so I'm going to get up too. It's the guy who says, I'm going for it because I want it. God says, I'm not hiding. I'm waiting. You will seek me. And you'll find me when you seek me with all your heart. When you want it more than you want anything else. Is God present everywhere? Yes. Does He sometimes feel absent from our lives? Yes. But the problem is not God, He is not hiding, He's waiting. He's waiting on you to say, God, forgive me. Be Lord and God in my life. Whatever that means, whatever that involves, wherever that leads, whatever that entails, be God in my life again. And He promises, when you seek me with all your heart, you'll find me. Let's pray about that. The invitation today is very clear for you. The invitation is not simply, hey, let's sing a song so we can leave. The invitation is it might start right here at the altar for you to say, God, I'm going to seek you with all my heart. This might not be the only day that you have to seek God, but it, it ought to start here. For God has spoken to you. God's challenged you in the Word. God, God has shown you, some of you, that the reason He seems so distant, the reason He seems so absent, is because you have been distant from Him. And so today, why don't you seek Him again? Come to this altar where He is waiting for you. And just start here. Start now. Seeking Him with all your heart. Father, thank You that even when we are in exile, even when we are in a mess of our own making, even then, You call us back to Yourself and You promise us Your presence. Even then, even there. Thank you for your grace and your mercy and your love that is so real. May we seek your face. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.